0: Luke 8, Luke 8, who was here last, who was not here last week? What the, where the heck were you all? But it was just as full, like we have like two teams, is this like, which one, everyone thinks they're varsity too, but someone's got to be JV, right? My goodness, if we could just combine the two weeks, man, we'd have to get a new building. That's all right, I'll kind of talk a little bit about what we talked about last week, and then we're going to get into this, but I need to pray first. I need help. You need help. We all need help. So let's pray for help. Yep. All right. Holy Spirit, we just, uh, we're so mindful of you in these last couple studies, just of the work that you do in and through us, the, the ministry that you have to glorify Jesus, to draw us closer to Jesus, to be that agent of restoration, to be that agent, um, that just facilitates that relationship and our knowledge and our trust and our love and our praise of you. So Holy Spirit, just be so incredibly radically evident tonight in the hearts of your people. Um, just, just as we take a look at this passage, would you just glorify Jesus um, above everything? And so um, we just pray that, um, and we trust that you do what you do best, which is draw people to Jesus. And so by the preaching of your word, I just ask that uh, you would enable us all to learn from you tonight, not from me, anything of me, just let that be. Forgotten, but everything of you, let it be instilled in our heart to your glory in Jesus' name, amen. So, look, Jesus has been pretty busy. And when I started this study, you know, people are like, Wow, how long did you want to teach on this? I didn't really feel like a, a strong pull toward Jesus and demons per se, but as I talked with, you know, um, Zach and, and um, Dane and the guys and my wife, I did feel. I did feel a pull toward one of the Gospels. I just didn't know what thread that would be. I just wanted to get back on the road with Jesus. Okay? And I'm going to get really hot during the sermon. I can already tell. So if you see me just, like, get more and more red, like my birthmark disappears, you're going to know. Like, I'm just, okay? I can already tell it's going to be hot in here. All right? you California people. I'm from Minnesota. This is, like, 60 degrees. I know. I know. And I wore a tank top underneath the longs. I went three layers. I'm going to melt at some point. Anyway, long story short, um, I just wanted to get back into a gospel. I wanted to get back on the road with Jesus in his ministry. And the series before this, Zach talked about a church on fire. And we took a look at what it means to be inspired, to be empowered, to be on fire via the Holy Spirit. And so when the Holy Spirit comes, he baptizes the church. He puts the church on mission. He puts the church on path, baptized in the Holy Spirit. And we saw last week that Jesus is going to model this for us. He's the model for the church. He's the model for the Christian. Do you notice that? He like did the whole Christian thing, right? Do you notice that? Like, wow, if I think about what it means to be a Christian, I should probably look at the guy that sort of like coined the term, right? And so Jesus, empowered by the Holy Spirit, we saw last week, he was baptized and then the Holy Spirit came upon him. The Holy Spirit came upon him, and now he goes out into public ministry, and who shows up right away? Satan. Takes him right out into the wilderness to be tempted three times. And then we saw just a few verses later, we saw Jesus' first encounter with a demoniac. And so Jesus is up teaching, and a guy comes in that's possessed by a demon. And so, as I talked about last week, this is not as much a study about demons as it is about the authority of Jesus, about the authority of Jesus. But you need to know that Jesus encountered demons more than anyone else, so it's sort of like a theme that we should take a look at. Jesus talked about money and hell more than anyone else. Those are good themes to take a look at, things that Jesus was constantly encountering, constantly teaching about. To reiterate, and so, so Jesus goes on mission, empowered by the Holy Spirit. And we see that he was led by the Holy Spirit, showing us that we are to be led by the Holy Spirit. A lot of us think like, well, Jesus just resisted sin because he was God. Jesus was able to resist sin because he was indwelled by the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit empowered his mission. And we saw last week that Jesus now goes out on mission as the church, now on fire with the Holy Spirit is to go out on mission. We don't just get to gather and then forget about all this the other six days. This isn't a clique. This is a church. And so we push out into mission as Jesus pushed out into mission and then spiritual warfare ensues. Spiritual warfare ensues. And I don't want to shake your faith in thinking that, that, that this study of demons sets up the demons so strong and so powerful that you need to fear for your salvation in their midst. Because we see the Bible says, He's been placed in the Father's hand, no man can remove. Jesus never loses a fight. That wasn't a fight. He gave himself up. And by the way, that beating only took place once, never again. And it says that He who's been placed in the Father's hand, no man shall remove. It doesn't mean that you're not going to be shaken at times, but the Holy Spirit will never lose you. If you've been sealed by the Holy Spirit, you will spend eternity with God. You will. It's a guarantee. We saw it with Israel as they were sealed with a new heart, new desires. We see it with the Christian church. We even see it it in Revelation with 144,000 sealed by the Holy Spirit. The enemy can't win with them. But it doesn't mean that you're immune from attack. And so Jesus has been busy. We were in chapter 4, right? Let's see what happened since then. We'll just do a quick, you can turn pages in a Bible study. It's legal. I checked with Jesus, right? And so... We see that Satan tempted Jesus, then he began his ministry... And we took a look at the end. You don't, in fact, I'll just go through this real fast. You don't have to, some of you are going to try to turn pages with me. It's not going to work out too well. But at the end of chapter 4, we see that he casted out that unclean spirit. He goes immediately into ministry. He heals Peter's mother-in-law. That's the first pope. He was married. Okay, bad joke. Um, and so, so Peter's mother-in-law is healed. We see that many are then healed after the Sabbath sunset. We see that Jesus goes out preaching and teaching. He calls four fishermen. Talk about a mangy crew. Four fishermen are called disciples. He goes and cleanses a leper. He forgives and heals a paralytic. He calls a tax collector. And that's just not like an IRS agent. This was a traitor. A traitor who's in cahoots with the Roman government, who has their boot on the neck of Israel, on the neck of Christians. And so he picks a tax collector. He says, follow me. Jesus is questioned on fast. You see all the Pharisees and the scribes, all the religious people show up. You notice that too? You notice Jesus is never tussling with like the widow. It's always the religious folks, the self-righteous people, the legalists. All right? all, and then they start coming out and they start attacking him. So you're going to get attacked by the world and the spiritual realm. When the closer you get to Jesus, those people are going to hate you more. And so he's getting questioned about fasting. He goes into a sermon about, or he talks about Jesus being the Lord of the Sabbath. He heals on the Sabbath. Big no-no. The 12 apostles are called. He heals a great multitude who had diseases, he goes in again, he just starts preaching and teaching through the Beatitudes, through the sermon. He comes into uh, chapter 7, he's healing a centurion's servant. He raises the son of a widow from the dead. John sends the messengers, John the Baptist sends messengers to Jesus. A sinful woman is forgiven. And then we come to chapter 8. And I want you to kind of look down at verse 22, we'll start there. Though our study really begins in verse 26, I want to set this up in verse 22. So Jesus has been healing, preaching, teaching, rebuking, raising, forgiving. And we see in chapter 8, he's out preaching and teaching. He's talking in parables through the whole chapter. Okay, and a parable is very simply this. Without the spiritual key, without the understanding of the key, you won't be able to unlock the parable. Okay, okay. And so he's he's teaching these just these mind-bender sermons that are just taking your whole paradigm, turning them upside down for the disciples. They're trying to figure it out. They're walking all over the area. Anyone been to the Middle East? It's not like a fun place to walk around, per se, right? Hills and rocks and heat and sand and desert. And they're just walking all around, preaching and teaching. The disciples are just being run ragged by Jesus. Jesus was in shape, by the way. Had his cardio on point, okay? Okay. Do you ever notice like when they needed to do Bible studies? It's like, hey, check this top of the hill. Let's go. (laughs) Right? Can you imagine? i would be like, Pastor Mark, I have a question. Cool. See you at the top of Boney. Let's roll. (laughs) And we just walk up a mountain. And these guys are going up and down mountains in the Middle Eastern sun all day. They're tired. Then they get into a boat, right? They get into a boat with Jesus. It says, and now it happened on a certain day. It's the same day. Then he got into a boat with his disciples, and he said to them, let us cross over to the other side of the lake. This is the Sea of Galilee. And they launched out. Sea of Galilee, also known as the lake. Okay? It, historians you know, disagree like they always do. Okay? But the place that they crossed was probably about five or six miles. Who here has rowed a boat five or six miles? Most of us don't even know how to motor a boat five miles. right? Rode it. I'm from the Midwest, from Minnesota. We had a PE teacher that was crazy, absolutely crazy. He made us dance in class, in high school. Do you know how horrific that is? He made us canoe across a lake to a volleyball field for volleyball day. It took us like 80 minutes just to get across the lake, like quarter of a mile, okay, Get out there and do like one serve and get back on the other side of the lake. And so the the poor disciples get in this boat. What does Jesus do? Love it. Nap time. I'm a knockout. I've been preaching and teaching all day. I'm going to sleep. Jesus goes to sleep. These guys are rowing. Okay. Who knows a CrossFit? You heard of CrossFit, right? That cult. Okay. Check us out. One of the things they do is put you on a row machine to start burning you out. One of the biggest muscle groups in your body is your back. Just wear you out. This is that, they're just, they're, oh my gosh. This is not what I thought ministry would be like. And they're rowing across this whole thing. It says, but as they came, or as they sailed, he fell asleep. I love that about Jesus. 100% man, 100% God, but 100% man. Jesus got tired. And he falls asleep. It says, And a windstorm came down on the lake. By the way, I've been to the Sea of Galilee. It's still prone to this. Based off the geography and the way that the wind cuts across the floor, it's still prone to just rapid, out-of-nowhere windstorms that cause waves on a lake. And we're talking about super low part of the, uh, of the, um, the world. I've been in the Dead Sea, too, which is the lowest. You can't even sink in that lake. You can just sit there sideways in the water. It's like 11% salt, Okay. It's crazy, but they still get swept by wind. And so these storms still happen today. And it says, one of these storms hits. It says, and a windstorm came down on the lake, and they were filling with water and were in jeopardy. Jesus racked out, right? Water in the boat, Jesus sleeping. You ever seen your dad take a nap like this? <laughs> Nothing you do oasis this man right? He is out. Jesus is sleeping. And they came to him and they woke him up saying, master, master, we're perishing. We're about to die, Jesus, and you're napping. Then he arose, I love this, and rebuked the wind. Jesus gets up, say, are you serious? Stop. Can I go back to sleep now? Jesus just stands up, stop, rebuked it. Actually, it says that he yelled at it, enough. And the waves stopped. The wind stopped. The storm ceased. And the raging of the water, and they ceased. And there was a calm. See, Jesus said, we're going to go to the other side. Let us go across the lake. When God says we're going across the lake, it means you're going to get there. When God says we're going to go across the lake, it means you're going to get there. So he says, but he said to them, hey, where's your faith? Where's your faith? And I love that about the disciples. They just continued to not get it. If that's not comforting for you, I don't know what is. Like they were there. Still didn't get it. Had to be reminded of it constantly. Where's your faith? And they were afraid and marveled, saying to one another, who can this be? For he commands even the winds and the water, and they obey him. Now, let me do this again because like three-fourths of you, apparently, were not here last week. Who is this? This Jesus. This is the creator of everything. That's who this is. In the beginning, God, Elohim. Him in the original language is plural, Not multiple gods, one God, three persons, singular plurality, unified diversity. Elohim. In the beginning, God created, and it says He created what? The first two things: heavens and the earth. There was not even heaven for God to be in when He did this. There was just God. There was no space-time continuum. There was just God. Timeless, spaceless, immaterial God. Just God. And Colossians 1.16 says, every time God spoke and something was created, that was Jesus who did the creating. That's why we call him the word. The word was with God. The word was God. When God spoke, Jesus created the heavens. Jesus created the earth. And there's two realms immediately. There's the spiritual realm and the physical realm. And in the spiritual realm, he created angels. And in the physical realm, he created humans. Then it says one of those angels grabbed a third of the angels, an innumerable force, and rebelled against God and got kicked out of heaven for thinking that they could be like God. And now demons exist. Rebellious angels that committed cosmic treason, a third of an innumerable force. And then Lucifer, is cast down and given the name Satan, which is a Hebrew transliteration for the word adversary. And then, as a serpent, and we're going to see a demon be infected or an animal be infected with demons again in this chapter, a serpent comes into the garden and feeds the same lie to the first parents, Adam and Eve, and says, You can be like God. And we committed cosmic treason, just like we do every single day when we sin, it's cosmic treason. Guilty, punishable by capital punishment, eternity apart from God. So he feeds Adam and Eve the same line, they fall for it. Now we've committed the same sin that got, kicks, got Satan kicked out of heaven, and it gets us kicked out of the garden. Now we have angels, we have demons, and we have humans. And what you see here on the lake. Again, think of those two realms, the spiritual and the physical. What you see is Jesus commanding physical creation. He can do that. Why? Because he was there before it even existed. If he can create it, he can calm it. Stop. Stop enough. I'm napping. Right? I love that about Jesus. Serious about his naps. Right? Stop. Physical realm calmed. But as we turn the page what you're going to see is now Jesus come face to face with the spiritual realm. Fully man. Fully God. Here comes the spiritual realm again. Because when you're indwelled by the Holy Spirit you now say I'm a part of spiritual warfare. Without the Spirit there's nothing for them to there's no need for demons to attack. You're doing fine hell bent on your own. But when you're gripped by the Holy Spirit, when you're secured by God, now you're Satan's enemy. Now you're part of creation that he wants to take down with him. Because as we saw last week, demons cannot repent. They are a wounded animal that's been backed into a corner and there's nothing more dangerous than that. And so they're hell-bent on taking any last bit of creation they can with them, as we'll see again. And so check this out. Then they sailed to the country of the Gadarenes, which is opposite Galilee, five, six miles. Let's go back to this disciples. They get in the boat, right? Right? Everyone gets in. Bunch of these dudes. Jesus napping. Big muscle groups, right? Big, sweating, wearing a man dress and everything. Just sweating, right? Five, six miles across this thing. Bunch of dudes in a boat. Gets hit with a storm. They're taking on water. Jesus is racked out. We're going to die. Jesus says, stop. Stop and he goes back to sleep. Love it. What do they do? They get back on that row game, right? Just get back on that row. They are exhausted. They've been walking around the Middle Eastern desert all day with Jesus. They finally get there. And then you hear the ground, right? Yes. Finally. Get out of that boat. Pull that thing up. And look what happens. And when he stepped out onto land, there met him a certain man from the city who had demons for a long time. He wore no clothes, nor did he live in a house, but in the tombs. A naked guy possessed with a demon starts running at them from the cemetery. Get back in the boat. Get back in the boat. No. Other way. Jesus, you get back in the boat, don't you? Like, No. Take my chances with the water again. (laughs) And you can read this in Mark 5.5. It says this guy's been cutting himself with stones. This guy's body is covered in blood. He's naked. He's been living in a cemetery for a long time, possessed by a demon. He comes running from a cemetery. You get back in that boat, don't you? You get back in that boat. Here comes the spiritual realm. Creator God just pulled up on shore. Jesus just pulled up on shore. And we're going to learn some more things about this. And by the way, Luke is a doctor, so he has some fascinating little details. Because as a doctor, he sees things a little differently than some of the other writers of the Synoptic Gospels. So he's got a few more details as a doctor that he's noticing. Because he's worried about this guy's health. And so it says, yeah, that he had been there for a long time. Dr. Luke could tell. Maybe it was because of how thick the dirt was on his skin mixed with blood. Maybe it was because of how natted his hair was, how long his beard was. He noticed that he had no clothes on, that he was running from the cemetery. Dr. Luke's like, this guy's been living. And look, it deserts the desert. Who's been to Phoenix in the winter? It still gets cold at night, right? I was in Iraq in August and it was awful. And like two months later, it was freezing it still gets cold in the desert. Dr. Lucas, this guy's got no clothes. He's been living in a cemetery for a long time. I can tell he's been cutting himself with stones. We think cutting is this modern phenomenon that our young people are gripped with. It's not. It's ancient. It's entirely demonic. It's an ancient, ancient Way to say, I can't stand the fact that I'm, I indwell, that that I'm possessing this, this creature, this human that is created in the image of God. I must destroy it. And he was cutting himself. And Mark also records, he says, day and night, he was crying out from the tombs, yelling from the tombs. He wasn't just sitting there waiting for something to happen. And so Dr. Luke records that he was there a long time. He had no clothes, nor did he live in a house, but in the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out, fell down before him, and with a loud voice says, What have I to do with you, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? Demons know exactly who they're dealing with. And we as Americans are so pretentious to say, I need a little more time to figure it out. I need to watch a few more YouTube clips check out a couple more. I need to sort of figure this whole thing out. Look, you come to faith and you, you come to believe that Jesus is God. You're just on par with demons at that point. I believe Jesus is God. So do the demons. So do the demons. Believing Jesus is God is not enough. Even the demons do. The demons know he's God. Why? He created them. This demon had seen Jesus before. This demon was an angel at one point who committed cosmic treason, picked a fight with Jesus. No surprise, he lost. And he got kicked out of heaven. So Jesus pulls up on shore, goes, there he is. That guy created me. And he runs down to Jesus. He falls on his face. See, Demons have a very high Christology. Very high. They're not trying to figure it out, which I'm not trying to downplay that. They've got it figured out. They've seen Jesus. They know who they're dealing with. A lot of times we don't. I I think about, I'm mindful of that. I'm like, man, a demon has a better perspective. I'm a full-blown Gripped by the Holy Spirit, enamored with the gospel, Christian, and demons understand it more than me. They actually do. Because they've seen him. But I can know him. But I can know him. So he says, What have I to do with you, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, do not torment me. This is not the man, this is the demon who knows exactly who he's dealing with. He says this, verse 29, it says, for he commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. Check this out. And look, I think I did a, a, perhaps a fair job of this last week, but we know that angels are not cute, right? We've gotten over that. We've gotten over that myth. Can't wait to meet an angel. Angels freak me out. These things are messengers of the most high God. The Bible says they are wise. They are powerful. They are strong. They are mighty. At times they deliver God's judgment. Though it was just a a very casual scene. I'll give Exodus this credit. I literally leaned over Carissa as the last plague was coming. I was like, they better make the angel cool. and it just passed over. People were gone. That's intense. That's intense. Angels are intense, which means fallen angels that can't repent are just as intense. Just as intense. And look what this guy's experiencing as a part of this. For it had often seized him, gripped possessed. And we know demons can possess and oppress. I've never been possessed, but I have been oppressed by demons. You will more often than not experience oppression than you will possession, but both are still in the realm of possibility. And it seized him and he was kept under guard, bound with chains and shackles. And he broke the bonds and was driven by the demon into the wilderness. This man could not deliver himself from the demon. If you think we as humans can overpower fallen angels, you're mistaken. This man could not overpower a fallen angel. He could not overpower the demon that possessed him. so something else had to take place this man's affliction was it was unable to be broken by him that which afflicted him he had no ultimate power to break free from it none this demon is too strong and it's not just one so jesus asked him saying what is your name i love jesus you see that scene right? Jesus, I love Jesus. Just epic and everything he does. A, what's your name? Right? A, C, chill out. Come here. What's your name? This guy needs to puff up in front of his creator. He needs to make himself seem a little bit more than he is, right? He's got this guy wrapped up. He's got this guy doing whatever he wants. He comes to Jesus. He knows it's not a fair fight knows not in a fair fight. Jesus says, Hey, what's your name? And he said, And this is not his name. It's a number. Okay? So, that whole weird theology that America has come into because of Hollywood that we have to learn the name before a demon, it's all nonsense. Never gave him his name. Jesus is like, Okay, all right, you want to play cool games? Great. His name is my name's Legion. Because we are many demons. Because many demons had entered him. Legion is about 6,000. Roman soldiers. We don't have a direct equivalent depending on time, depending on branch, depending on how you, how you parse it up. It's like saying an American brigade or division. I know that probably means absolutely nothing to you either. Okay? But let's just take 6,000. Heck, let's take 3,000. <clears> you want 3,000 Marines opposite you? I was in the Marines. We did damage, okay? They don't train, they, look, I was not in the army. They didn't train us how to, like, rebuild society and, like, do interpersonal relations. I said, look, there's Fallujah. Go break it. Okay. I was a forward observer. I had at my beck and call artillery, mortars, and F-18s doing yo-yo missions. You want a 500-pound bomb? Sure. We knew how to break things army come in, put them back together. The Romans were amazing at breaking things. You want, want 6,000 United States Marines opposing you? No way. I was on a team of five guys, major destruction from a Humvee, major five guys. This guy says, we're massive. And by the way, demons, stronger than Roman soldiers. Stronger than Roman soldiers. So this is what this, this demon's doing. He's puffing up. Who's seen a cobra do that, right? Cobras are like not that, they don't look very BA, right? They're, they don't look like epic until they go, right? Right? That's why the Egyptians, they did that, right? Try to look cool. Like, you guys look like nerds without those hats. So they're just like shaved head, eyeliner. Like. You put on that thing, now he looks a little, a little cooler. That's what cobras do, right? They're just these little thin snakes. They come out and go, that's so what he does. hey, what's your name? He's like, legion. it's like a bunch of us. Jesus is like, that's cute. (laughs) Right? That's cute. He says, and they begged him. They begged him. They begged Jesus. See how the authority has switched very quickly. They seized this guy. They kept him. They bound him. He broke the bonds. He was driven. He's breaking shackles. The, and, and keep in mind the city, this guy lives in and around a city. This city has been tormented by this guy for a long time. Curfews at high noon. Kids are like back in the house. He's been tormenting this city, crying out from the tombs, cutting himself, running into town, running out. They send a bunch of dudes. They get all the guys that lift weights, right? They get all the carpenters, all the tradesmen, any soldiers, anyone. They have them run up to the cemetery. They all jump on him. They tie him down. They shackle him. He stands up and he goes, seriously, chains from this world. It's cute. I'm a fallen angel. Your chains are cute and he breaks shackles back into town that night. Kids don't run around this town freely. They're not playing. I imagine the dads stay close to home all day. The life of this city has been tormented by this guy. Jesus shows up, he's on his face. Now all authority has shifted. I've seen him before. He created me. And so they beg him that he, would, that he would not command them to go out into the abyss. And the original language of the abyss, is, it's, it's maybe not more properly, but it's used in the context of being inactive. The abyss is just like taking someone out to a far off desert they could never return to and saying, here, hang out there for a while. Can't do anything. The abyss. Just don't make us inactive, Jesus. That's what they're praying for at this point. They're on their knees before creator God say, look, just allow us to keep destroying things. You create things. When God speaks, things come to life. We destroy things. We want to take everything down with us. Whatever you do, we know it's coming. Just please not now. Just don't make us inactive. Don't send us out into the abyss. The other synoptic gospels say the country where you go out to be ineffective in the spiritual realm. It says, don't send us out there. It says, now a herd of many swine was feeding there on the mountain. So they begged him that he would permit them. If Jesus is granting the permission, that means he's in control. He is in control. The physical realm, the storms in your life, and the spiritual realm, the oppression that very well may come. Jesus has all authority. So they begged him that he would not permit them to, or that he would permit them to enter them. Those are the pigs. And he permitted them. Go for it. It's not kosher anyways. Have at it. Then the demons went out to the man, went out of the man and entered the swine, and the herd ran violently down the steep place into the lake and drowned. That's all that demons want, is to take creation down with them, any part of it. You, a pig, makes no difference to them. They have to destroy God's creation. It says, When those who fed them saw what had happened, they fled and told it in the city and in the country. Verse 35, Then they went out to see what had happened and came to Jesus and found the man from whom the demons had departed sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed, and in his right mind. Here's the big idea. We've got it all backwards. You and I, we got it backwards. We think that we have to get our afflictions figured out before we get to Jesus. We think we have to get our afflictions figured out before we get to Jesus. We forget to get to Jesus so that Jesus can figure out our afflictions. The first step is not removing something from your life or adding something to it, it's getting to Jesus on your face. This man could not deliver himself from the grip of a herd of demons. These demons had their way with him. They could do whatever they wanted with him. But what just happened? Even they could not prevent him from getting to Jesus. Unable to deliver yourself from your affliction. But Jesus will not allow anything to come between you and him when you run to him. Nothing. Demons have their way left and right with humans. But you can always get to Jesus, and that's step one. So my question is, for you, for me, what are reasons you don't believe you can or you just flat out refuse to get to Jesus? What are things that you use To put between you and Jesus and say, I've got to get over this hurdle before I get to Him. Is it your past? Is it what you've done? Is it your present? Is it what you're doing? Is it your sin? Is it your porn addiction? Is it your drunkenness? Is it your drug use? that your immorality, your lustfulness, your premarital sexual relations with him or her. So once I figure this out, once I get married, figure it out, and we'll, then we'll start to really get real with Jesus. Once I get out of college, I'll sort of stop the porn thing. It's just sort of a four-year gig. That doesn't work. I've been there. Oh, once I get married, I'll stop the whole porn thing. It doesn't work. I've been there. Oh, once I have kids, I'll stop the whole porn thing. It doesn't work. I've been there. What is it that you're trying to figure out before you get to Jesus? Your past, your present, your sin, your pride. You think you have more to puff up with before you get to him? I got to figure out a little bit more. I need to read the whole Bible to just kind of get the whole thing. That's not going to happen. I need to learn a little bit more. I need a couple more sermons under my belt. I need to ask a few questions. I need to meet with the past. I got to figure some of this. I got to get a little deeper. I got to know some things. I got to take a look at the early church. I got to reconcile some of the bad that's gone on in the church. I got to figure out the whole hypocrite thing before I go. Is it your pride? Is it fear? Fear that you'll be made out as a hypocrite? Is it shame? You just feel shameful coming to Jesus? Because he knows everything already. He created you. Knitted you together in your mother's womb. He knows it. it says that he's got more thoughts about you than there is sand Not on Zuma, not California coast, not the West Coast, not the East Coast, combined with the Third Coast. More thoughts about you than grains of sand on the earth. Jesus. Those are how many thoughts he has about you. Are you ashamed to come to him? Says so he's got every tear you've ever cried in a bottle. What are you putting between you and getting to Jesus that you think you have to have figured out before you get to him? This guy is gripped with a demon and he gets to Jesus First to be restored by Jesus, to be healed by Jesus, to be strengthened by Jesus, to be poured into by Jesus, to be healed, to be clothed, to be put back into his right mind by Jesus. You get to Jesus first. Put nothing between the two of you. And this is not legalism, like there's steps you need to take. This is just openly and in repentance saying, Jesus, what have you to do with me? I have sinned against you, my creator you love me so much and I've rebelled against you. Every day I've rebelled against you. And this is what's great. This guy goes from sitting at the feet of Jesus, having run to, being restored by, now clothed in his right mind, but he's gonna go through a rapid spiritual maturity because he's come to Jesus. Look, he went to Bible camp real quick Okay, he had that moment. He came up to the altar. He fell on his face, and it felt really good. Demons are gone. I feel light. I feel lifted. I feel repentant, and that's just a blessing. It feels off my chest. But he goes into a rapid state of spiritual maturity because he doesn't just—he isn't content to sit there. He says this. He says, "And they were afraid." These are the people. You ever notice that the world gets sort of like freaked out by people getting healed by Jesus? It's a weird phenomenon. Like, bro, I was addicted to porn and then Jesus saved me. Like, hey, whoa, chill out. Whoa, relax. Freaky. Oh, the porn thing didn't freak you out, but Jesus releasing me from that did? Notice how the world gets a little freaked out by Jesus' restoration? Jesus says, don't worry about that. In fact, you're going to press into those people. Okay? He says, they were afraid. And they also, who had seen it, told them by what means he who had been demon possessed was healed. It was Jesus. Then a whole multitude of the surrounding region of the Gadarenes asked him to depart from them. Some people have chalked this up to the fact that he just destroyed their pigs, which is rare in the region, and that that's how they made their money. There might be a little validity to that, but I honestly just think the world gets freaked out when Jesus heals people. That's why they were angry. That's why they were talking about Jesus doing it. It's him. That's the issue. They didn't blame it on the demons. Ah, oh, we lost the pigs to the demons. It's you. It's Jesus, and that's how the world treats him. They want nothing to do with him. They asked him to depart from them, for they were seized with great fear. See, it wasn't just anger that they lost their pigs. They were afraid. This guy commands the spiritual realm and there was a storm, and it stopped. We could even see that from the shore. Something's going on, and he's to blame. Get out of here. People are getting healed, clothed, and put in their right minds. Get out of here. They were seized with great fear, and he got back, and he got into the boat. Jesus gets into the boat. Right now, the disciples are like, oh, now he wants to leave, right? Get back on that row, Right? And he got back into the boat and returned. Now the man who just had a come to Jesus moment, literally and figuratively, on his face, healed, restored, clothed, in his right mind, he consumed from Jesus, he got from Jesus. I got what I needed, thanks. Good luck on the way back. We'll see ya. Is that what he wanted? No, No. he wasn't a consumer. He wasn't a consumer. He wanted more. He got saved. He wanted more. It says, now the man from whom the demons had departed begged him that he might be with him. He didn't just come to Jesus, receive from Jesus, feel good, and then peace out. He said, now I want to be with you. And have you ever noticed, I've said this before, have you ever noticed that no one's really excited about the book of Revelation until you get saved? You notice that? As soon as you get saved, everyone's like, oh, I read Revelation. Bring it on. These people are messed up. Jesus, take care of them. Grandpa, is that you? Right? And they all just come down. Jesus, we all want his army to come down when we've been saved. We want to be with Jesus. Finish this. Be done with it. But aren't you glad he gave you enough time? Funny how that works out. I just want Jesus back. I just want Jesus back. I want. I do too, but I'm really glad He's giving more kids time. He gave me time. So there's work to be done. Jesus isn't going to just say, hey, no, go away. He's going to put this guy on mission. He says, You'll see me again. Look, Christian, look, I know it feels like it's been a long time, a couple thousand years since the cross. We don't know when Revelation's going to happen. Some of us are getting antsy. He says, Look, you'll see me again. You'll see me again. I'm glad that you want to be with me. We will be. It's better for you that I go. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. He's got some work to do. Jesus' words it's better for you that I go. Christian, it's better for you that I go. He begged him that he might be with him. Is that your heart? You want to be with him? not just come for an uplifting or if it's one of my sermons, a depressing, right? Like moment before the cross. Are you just coming to learn about him or are you coming to be with him? And that doesn't mean you have to come here to be with him by any means. Do you just want to be with him? You can be. You can be. Turn your heart in repentance to him. Get to know the person and work of Jesus via the Holy Spirit. It says he just wants to be with him, but Jesus sent him away, saying, return to your own house. That's where ministry begins. In your house, you don't have that ministry. Everything else can fall apart. Return to your own house. Who here is college students? Raise your hands. Okay. Semester's coming to an end. Okay. From me to you. Return to your house. Return to your house this Christmas. Return to your parents' roof. Okay? Return to your house and tell them the great things God has done for you. It starts there. How do I evangelize to China? I don't know. Start with your parents. Maybe they're not Christians. Maybe they are and you still need to talk to them. You know how much their faith would be emboldened by you coming home from college of all places? being like, let me tell you about what God's been doing. They're like, what? Because we've watched YouTube. We know what goes on in college, right? And your whole life is what, you know, just planning to like shock your parents? Go shock them that way. God's been tossing me around. It's amazing. I'm going to church now at night. (laughs) On the weekends, right? Guy's yelling at me and I take it trying to make vests cool again, right? Like, It says, return to your own house and tell what great things God has done for you. And for those of you that aren't returning home, for those of you just going back to your homes here in this community, do you talk about what Jesus has done for you? Because he puts him back on mission. It says, and he went his way and proclaimed throughout the whole city what great things Jesus had done for him. He didn't just come to Jesus, get healed and peace out. He came to Jesus, wanted more of Jesus, has now been told that he'll see Jesus again and in the meantime, tell people about me. Push out, talk to your family, start there. Get your testimony locked in with your parents, with your siblings, before you think you can just saunter around a college campus or a business place talking about Jesus. Talk about this. Talk about what you're studying. Actually study, there's something crazy. Study a gospel. Get on the road with Jesus. Become enamored with him and the work of the Holy Spirit and what he's doing and how he operates. Jesus lived the perfect life that we were supposed to. We could probably learn from him. Dig into him via the word because Jesus is the word. Know him personally. Don't just know about him. Know him Even the demons know about Jesus. But as Christians, we can know Jesus. And he puts us back on mission. And again, I close with this, as we go into this time of worship. What hurdle are you putting between you and Jesus? What hurdle in your life, what sin, when I say the word, a short list pops up in your head. I didn't do that. You notice that? When I say sin, I don't know if the Holy Spirit exists. Did you see the list? Yeah, he exists. When I say sin and that little list pops up in your head, when I say that person that you're harboring anger against, and you know who I'm talking about, that what you've done, that what you're doing, that what you're planning to do, Your pride, your arrogance, your fear, your shame, your sin, your past, your present, your future. Whatever you say, I got to get this figured out, then I'll come to Jesus. Stop it tonight. Get down before the living King, the creator of all things, spiritual and physical, and say, I'm just here, Jesus. I'm here now before you at your feet, and I need to be clothed in your righteousness. I need to get my mind straight. So despite my afflictions, I get to Jesus. I don't figure out my afflictions so that I can get to him. And so tonight we turn our hearts upward. Tonight we turn our hearts upward. We're not focused on the affliction. We're focused on Jesus. Get face to face, get heart to heart with Jesus. He can't wait to strip you of that nonsense. He cannot wait. And what happened on the cross was Jesus in the same manner with this demoniac, he says, despite your affliction, I'll then clothe you. And the Bible says that Jesus did not merely symbolize your sin on the cross. Did you know that? The Bible does not say, he made him who knew no sin to look like your sin. He made him who knew no sin to symbolize your sin, to be a very grand and grotesque metaphor for your sin. It says, he made him, God the Father made Jesus who knew no sin to what church? Be sin. Some of you wonder how that whole great exchange happened. Because you still have sin in your life, but the sin past, present, and future was put on Jesus and then God poured out his wrath on Jesus. That's how your sins are demolished on the cross. Jesus became your sin. And God put him to death, poured out his wrath on him so that he's no longer angry with us. And he put him in the ground and the grave was made for sinners. Jesus never sinned, so it couldn't hold him. And so he rose, defeating death. He says, now those that are clothed in me, now those who are clothed in me are restored until you see me again. And so that's what communion represents, the body and the blood of Jesus Christ that was broken, fractured, pummeled by the living God as your sin. So come to Jesus now. Come to Jesus fast, furious, despite any affliction. We come to the feet of Jesus right now. We say, forgetting all that's behind, I see you and I want to be restored and healed Clothed in your righteousness for eternity. Amen? Amen? Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you that you're above all things. You're above all things in the spiritual realm. You're above all things in the physical realm. You existed before they existed. And how silly it is of us to put anything between us and you. The demon could not keep this man back from running to you. So I pray right now that we would just be full throttle. Full throttle to the feet of our creator. That we would repent all that we've done, all that we're doing. And that we become so enamored with what you've done. You've taken our sins, cast them as far as the east is from the west to be remembered no more. Jesus, you love us that much more thoughts about us than there are grains of sand on the earth. Every tear we've ever cried in a bottle with your arms stretched out. You say, come to me, follow me. I love you. And then we can't help but go back to our homes. We can't help but go back to our friends and speak of the great things, Jesus, that you've done in our lives. And so we praise you. We worship you right now, a living king on a throne, listening to our hearts, listening to our thoughts, listening to the music that we're going to listen to. You sit there on a throne, and I imagine you're smiling because your kids are coming to your feet. Jesus, we love you and we praise you now for your glory. Amen.